like to open your Bible, you're certainly welcome to do that. And I had mentioned before that Ezra is full of long lists and numbers. We're going to be coming to one of our longest lists of uh, names and numbers today. And my hope is that I can prove to you (laughs) that these names and numbers actually do have relevance and application spiritually for us today. So we'll see about that soon. Last week, I had mentioned that the church in the United States is declining pretty rapidly and um, at an alarming rate. Literally, within 20 years, church attendance has been more than cut in half. And the age of the average congregant and the age of the average pastor is going up and up and up, which means that the younger generation are the ones who are, for the most part, dropping out of churches or not coming to churches, and there is, uh, it does not bode well for the future when it comes to numbers, at least. But there was some positive information in that same survey, the 2021 Faith Communities Today survey, and I want to share some of that with you today. All right, so there's positive information as well. Um, churches today are more multiracial and multiethnic than perhaps they have ever been in the United States. Quote, From the survey, our first survey in 2000 found 12% of faith communities were multiracial, and 20 years later, this number has climbed to 25%. It's more than doubled. And not only that, the churches that are multi-ethnic, multiracial are the ones that are doing better. They're flourishing. The diversity correlates to increased growth, spiritual vitality, a clearer sense of mission and purpose, and other attributes of a flourishing community. That's a change for the better today. Um, I think it was Martin Luther King who said Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week. Hopefully that is no longer the case and in, in in increasingly so as we go forward. Church giving has gone up in a sense. Now overall it's gone down as the numbers have gone way down, but giving has not gone down at the same pace, which means those who are remaining are giving more faithfully. Spiritual vitality or vibrancy seems to be going up. Now, this is hard to sort of, how do you measure that, right? So one of the things they've done is measured of congregants who would say that their own church is spiritually alive. So the percentage of congregations who strongly agree that their church is spiritually vital and alive has been going down and down and down over the last, I don't know how many years. But from two, in 2015, it was only 27% of those who attend a church would say that their own church is spiritually vital and alive. And for the first time, by 2020, that percentage has gone up. It hit hit the bottom and started heading upward, where 33% in 2020 would describe their own congregation as spiritually vital and alive. And then, similarly to that, um, willing to change to meet new challenges. Down and down and down. Uh, In 2015, it was 62%. And then finally, we see a, a turn in the other direction in 2020. 73%. So what does that tell you? Yes, the numbers are going down very rapidly, but the spiritual maturity of these congregations seems to be growing deeper. I think if we had to point to what what is actually going on here, why, why is this happening? We didn't talk about why. Why are the numbers all changing and going down? Well, you certainly, you could point to the culture, you could say it's really the culture around us, fault, it's postmodernism, it's the direction, it's the political divide, and it's really all the fault of the culture. And there's definitely some truth to that. I'm not, not saying that the world around us doesn't bear some to blame. You could point to the church's approach 
its sort of philosophy of ministry and say that's where the problem is. Churches are no longer relevant. They're stuck in their tradition. Uh, they're no longer engaging in the cultural issues of this day. And certainly that is also true. And there's a lot to blame um, for churches and what they've done. But I would rather look at it spiritually and say what has happened, I think, is that we have kind of lost our way. We forgot what it means to be the people of God. And that perhaps this is God's chastening and reminder to us that we are called now to return to what it means to be the people of God. Ezra 2, 1 to 70. As I said, there's a lot of names here. Um, I, I, some people say, Pastor Rick, you do a good job pronouncing all those names. That's because I took multiple years of Hebrew. Okay, so don't feel bad if you're sitting there going, I don't know how to pronounce that, whatever, right? So um, years and years of Hebrew, and I love languages. Not everybody loves languages. Some people do, some people don't. I do, so um, don't be intimidated by that. But we're going to cover a lot of names. And you know, one person asked me, what are you going to do with these names? Should we skip over it? Well, I want to at least read it. We're not going to talk about every name on here. There's nothing to say about most of these names. But I want to at least have said, by the end of this sermon series, we've read all of Ezra, okay? <laughs> and then we'll talk through this. So here we are, 70 verses, chapter 2, verse 1. Now these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Realiah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Rehum, and Baana. The number of the men of the people of Israel, the sons of Parosh, 2172. The sons of Shephatiah, 372. The sons of Ara, 775. The sons of Pahat, Moab, namely the sons of Jeshua and Joab, 2812. Sons of Elam, 1254. The sons of Zatu, 945, the sons of Zakai, 760, the sons of Bani, 642, the sons of Bebai, 623, the sons of Asgad, 1222, the sons of Adonikam, 666, nothing to do with the revelation number, the sons of Bigvi, 2056, the sons of Aden, 454, the sons of Atar, namely of Hezekiah, 98, the sons of Bezai, 323, the sons of Jorah, 112, the sons of Hashum, 223, the sons of Gabar, 95. The sons of Bethlehem, 123. The men of Natophah, 56. The men of Anathoth, 128. The sons of Asmavet, 42. The sons of Kiriath-Arim, uh, Kepharira, and Berot, 743. The sons of Ramah and Geba, 621. The men of Michmas, 122. The men of Bethel and Ai, 223. The sons of Nabo, 52. The sons of Magbish 156, the sons of the other Elam, 1254, the sons of Harim, 320, the sons of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 725, the sons of Jericho, 345, the sons of Senea, 3630. The priests, the sons of Jediah of the house of Jeshua, 973, the sons of Immer, 1052, the sons of Pashur, 1247, the sons of Harim, 1017. The Levites, the sons of Jeshua and Cadmiel, the sons of Hodaviah, 74. 
The singers, sons of Asaph, 128. The sons of the gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Atur, the sons of Talmon, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatita, and the sons of Shobai, in all, 139. The temple servants, the sons of Ziha, the sons of Hasufa, the sons of Tebaot, the sons of Keros, the sons of Siaha, the sons of Padon, the sons of Labanah, the sons of Hagabah, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hagab, the sons of Shamlai, the sons of Hanan, the sons of Gedel, the sons of Gahar, the sons of Reah, the sons of Razin, the sons of Nakoda, the sons of Gazam, the sons of Uzzah, the sons of Pesea, the sons of Besai, the sons of Azna, the sons of Meunim, the sons of Nephisim, the sons of Bakbuk, the sons of Hakufa, the sons of Harher, the sons of Bazlut, the sons of Mahida, the sons of Harsha, the sons of Barkos, the sons of Sisera, the sons of Tema, the sons of Neziah, and the sons of Ahita. Hatifa. Still with me? <laughs> 55. The sons of Solomon's servants. The sons of Sotai. The sons of Hasaferet. The sons of Peruda. The sons of Jeala. The sons of Darkon. The sons of Gedel. The sons of Shephatiah. The sons of Hatil. The sons of Pokeret Hazabaim. And the sons of Ami. All the temple servants and the sons of Solomon's servants were 392. The following were those who came up from Telmala and Telharsha, Karub, Adan, and Immer, though they could not prove their father's houses or their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. The sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Nakoda, 652. Also of the sons of the priests, the sons of Habiah, the sons of Hakoz, the sons of Barzillai, who had taken a wife from the daughters of Barzillai the Gileadite and was called by their name. These sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but they were not found there, and so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until there should be a priest to consult, the Urim and Thummim. The whole assembly together was 42,360, besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337, and they had 200 male and female singers. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, and their donkeys 6720. Some of the heads of families, when they came to the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, made freewill offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury of the work 61,000 darics of gold, that's the Persian uh, measurement, 5,000 minas of silver and 100 priest garments. Now the priests, the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants lived in their towns and all the rest of Israel in their towns. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Mary's thinking, what does this church do? They read names and numbers. No, this is unusual, but all right, here's where we're going. Return to what it means to be the people of God. Verses 1 to, 1 to 35, God's people are numbered. They are numbered. 36 to 63, God's people are spiritually led. Talk about the priests, the Levites, the temple servants. And then 64 to 70, God's people worship him. It's all about worship. So the first thing we see is that God's people are numbered. This is the group of people that come back from Babylonia, all throughout the Babylonian Empire that have been exiled, that are now brought back into the land to begin worship of God again. 
Remember the 70 years between the destruction of the temple and the rebuilding of the temple, and God is restoring his people back in Israel. They actually come in different waves. They're different groups. This is the first group, and we learn the exact number of them, exact, uh, actually. Uh, later on, he gives us the total, about 42,000 plus 7,000 servants in change, so about 50,000 people restart Israel in this point. I'm not going to mention all of the different names here, just a couple. Verse 2, they came with Zerubbabel. Now, Zerubbabel is probably one of the most underrated people in the Bible because most people never heard of Zerubbabel, but he actually kicks off the return. He becomes a very important person, specifically in Ezra and Nehemiah, because he is leading the way. He becomes the governor there in uh, Judah as they restore God's people to worship. And the second name on there is Jeshua, which is the name Jesus, or Joshua, Yeshua, and refers to the high priest, most likely, of that time. Very important person. And the important thing about, specifically about Zerubbabel is he is of the line of David. So the kingly line has not been lost. They've been in exile for decades, but they know exactly who the sons, grandsons, great-grandsons, so forth, of David are. And Zerubbabel, even though he's not a king right now, is part of that line. And of course, that line will lead us right to Jesus. God's people are preserved in preparation for the Messiah who will come in the line of David and bring salvation not just to Israel, but to the whole world. Notice also here that God's people are numbered. They are, most of these names are lost to history. Uh, we don't have any idea who they are. In fact, some of the familiar names are not the people you think they are, probably. The Nehemiah here is not the one of the next book, Nehemiah. If you know the book of Esther, the Mordecai here is not the Mordecai in the book of Esther. Different people, just common names. But nevertheless, they are written down because God knows their name. And God preserves it in his word so that we could see for generations. Down to the individuals, right? Not... not 1246 <laughs> or 1248 but exactly 1247 down to the actual individual person is recorded for us here today to know that they matter to God notice also that he works through families these are all groupings of families God loves to work through families now can you be a Christian and be part of a family where no one else is a Christian of course you can and God loves to do a new and fresh work like that as well but let's be honest, most Christians come from a Christian family. That's where the majority of Christians come from. Because God tends to love to work through families. Families of all different sizes. You have a family as small as 42 people, and you have a family well over 3,000. Meaning, of course, the whole extended family. And yet they're all included. God loves and cares for each of his people. His people are named and they are numbered. Of course, today is the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. What a perfect illustration, right? God knows our name. And even if your name, my name, will be lost to history, which probably will be the case for everyone in this room, even if one of you guys becomes president of the United States, right? Uh, who was the president before Dwight Eisenhower? Anyone know? I don't know. On the top of my head. I'm just right now. Somebody knew it. Truman, someone said? All right, so even past presidents get forgotten, right? Franklin Pierce was president. He, his house was in New Hampshire. Most people don't even remember anything about him. But God's 
word. God remembers and knows his people from the very beginning. God knows us from our mother's womb and loves us. In fact, that's the gospel. The gospel is not God just saves a group of people. The gospel is that God calls you personally to repent of sin and put your trust in Christ and be redeemed and join his people. There's another list. There's another recording. It's called the Book of Life. And God names and numbers every individual who is his. Jesus referred to it, Luke 10, 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Of course, Revelation refers to this as well. Revelation 20, 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Is your name written? Are you numbered among his people? God loves and cares for each of us individually. Not based on what you have to offer the kingdom. (laughs) Not based on utilitarian ability. But because you are made in his image. And he loves you. His people are named. His people are numbered. His people are spiritually led. Look at 36 to 63. He actually breaks up a lot of the people um, in terms of their roles here. And, And all of these relate to ultimately spiritually leading the people to renewal as they begin to rebuild. Of course, he mentions the priests first and foremost. The priests are Actually, there's a, a far larger number of priests returning than of the regular people. Of course, the, the Levites are only one-twelfth of Israel, right, uh, you know, in terms of the tribes. But a far higher percentage of Levites and priests come back. Why? Because the whole point is to rebuild the temple and to begin worship of God again. A priest was also responsible not only to lead by offering sacrifices for the people, but to teach the people. When most people think of what is the hardest book of the Bible— to interpret and understand. A lot of people would say Leviticus, right? Leviticus is one of the tough ones. Well, what is Leviticus? It's the book of the Levites. It's their teaching about how to go about the sacrificial system. God has given a people to know and understand carefully his word. It's not just the priests. It's the Levites in general, as it says here. So only the descendants of Aaron would be priests. But all of the tribe of Levi would be there to assist and to help the priests. And then he mentions another group, the temple servants and Solomon's servants. And one thing you may not know about them is a lot of them were Gentiles. Uh, They were people that were brought into Israel, but now are absolutely considered part of Israel. They're numbered among those who return, and they have a very important role in assisting in the worship at the temple. That's important because later on there's this discussion about separating from the foreigners. It's not about ethnicity, it's about where their faith is at. Those who have worshipped the same God are part of the same people. It's not about your blood, it's about worship. And here God is restoring worship to his people. The, the uh, Levites are coming back to begin the sacrificial system as they redo the temple. They are also there to teach the people his word. Nehemiah 8.7 says, The Levites helped the people understand the law. 
We see that role of the priests again and again throughout uh, the Old Testament, 2 Kings 17, 2 Chronicles 15, Micah 3. They're meant to teach the people so that they know and understand what true and proper worship is all about. In fact, they're so careful now uh, to make sure they're doing this right that there's a group that are unregistered. And because they're not registered, Nehemiah, who or the governor at the time, uh, not Nehemiah, this would be Zerubbabel perhaps, at this time says they can't join in the worship. They can't, they can't serve in the temple until they can prove their lineage. Because we're not going to make the mistakes we made before where we continue to compromise God's word and we continue to compromise what he calls us to and fall back into sin. We're just going to say until it can be proven, you guys are out. <laughs> you can come back with us. You can settle with us. But you cannot serve as priests until we figure this out. Now let me explain a little bit about priests because that doesn't apply today in the same way that it did back then. Uh, priests are an extremely important part of the Old Testament because they bring the sacrifice. Not just anyone can go into the temple and offer a sacrifice for sin. God gave us mediators. Or God gave his people mediators. And those mediators were trained in a specific way to offer these sacrifices for the people. In the New Testament, there is only one priest. And his name is Jesus. There is only one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Notice, nowhere in the New Testament are we called, well, are pastors called priests. The only time they refer to people as priests, we just studied it in our new members class, by the way, is the priesthood of all believers. Right? A holy nation, a royal priesthood. Because why? We don't need a mediator, another person to go to God. We go directly to him through the Son, who is himself divine. That's the difference. Now, of course, I know I'm stepping on some toes here, right? Because there are some traditions that hold to having priests. And um, I have a really good friend, uh, Brian. Actually, he's preached here before, Brian Bethke. And uh, he is a, an Anglican priest. Um, and he and I have had discussions briefly about this. Um, I would say I don't think it's wise to call pastors priests. The New Testament doesn't do that. But I'm not mad about it. All right, so if, if there is another tradition, Anglicanism, whatever, that uses the term priest to refer to their pastors, um, I'm not mad at you. You're my brothers in, in, in Christ, and we'll be together in glory. But I don't think that is wise. What I do think is carried on is this idea of spiritual leadership. That God wants his people to be spiritually led. And that role of teaching and caring for the people absolutely carries on. To the New Testament. And perhaps if I could condemn pastors a little bit and kind of go after myself here, pastors in the last generation or so have been so consumed with numbers and being a sort of CEO of a business and making the church into a sort of consumer mentality. What do people like? What will they want? Let's make sure we provide the music that people really like. Let's make sure we have the programs that people really like. And the whole church becomes just like a Starbucks. And maybe, maybe that's the reason for God's judgment upon the church in the West. You have forgotten what it means to be the people of God. And you shepherds get back to shepherding people's souls and teaching them his word. Friends, we, we as Christians study the word and know God's will. I had a friend who used to mock the idea of Bible study. I don't want to be part of a Bible study. That's just so old-fashioned. I want to be part of a 
a relational group where we hang out, you know, and just sit in the living room and chat and talk. Oh, that's good. Nothing's wrong with that. Absolutely. But Bible study is not a mockery. To study his word together is how we grow and how we spiritually mature. As I mentioned, I felt convicted, and the elders have been talking about this, and Pastor Mike and I, that we need to have more community groups, Bible studies throughout the week so that everyone here has at least the opportunity to join. And we are going to create probably at least three more coming up here pretty soon because we want to give that opportunity to study the word. That's what God is reconstituting here for Israel. May his people be taught well the word and have their souls cared for well by spiritual leadership. God's people are numbered. God's people are spiritually led. And God's people worship him. That's what this is really all about. That God, God is still at work among his people as they're all throughout Babylon. And, and of course, we said there are many who stayed in Babylon. Many godly men and women. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You had Esther, who becomes queen of all of Persia, for example, and they're doing a great work of making sure uh, that uh, God's name is, is, is raised up and proclaimed. What's the purpose of coming back to the land? So that his temple would be rebuilt and he would be worshipped. You remember, we love the story of the Exodus, you know, and uh, Moses taking the people of God out of Israel. You know why he did that? He tells us over and over again why they need to come out of Egypt. It's not just so they could be free, although that's certainly got to be a part of it. Let my people go that they might worship me. He calls them out of Israel because his name is to be proclaimed and praised and worshipped. The whole thing we see here is all about returning to worship. (laughs) It's all about gathering God's people again in the temple and worshipping him rightly. And notice, he puts everything in place. He mentions here uh, the singers. I love that. Uh, And, you know, it's one of the few categories he says, male and female, men and women, both of them, everyone, singing to the Lord. We have our our choir that gets up there and sings. You guys are the modern-day equivalent of the male and female singers we see right here in the Bible to lead in congregational worship, sing to him. And at the end, they take what? A free will offering. We saw the offering of those who gave sending Israel, these people back to the land. But now those who have gone begin to take an offering and begin to give freely to the work of the Lord. And by the way, the numbers there, I know we can't, it's hard to translate into modern numbers, they're extremely generous. At least that's what all the commentaries say, all right? The numbers there reveal that even though it's a much smaller group, they're an extremely generous group when it comes to giving because it's an act worship. They sing, they learn the word, they give. Notice the importance of gathering, friends. Uh, You can worship anywhere, of course. You can worship as you go out in your canoe down the river Merrimack. Just, you know, don't fall out of the canoe because that water is not super clean, but you know what I mean. You can worship anywhere. You can worship walking through the woods. You can worship in your home, and you should. Driving along, singing as loud as you want in your car, listening to praise music, but that is not, does not take the place of gathered corporate worship. In fact, the whole word church, the word ecclesia, by the way, is the word used here in the Greek translation of the Old Testament for the gathering, the ecclesia. The word church means assembly. 
it's, it's a gathering. It's a coming together. It's a congregation. You congregate together. Uh, if you say, I am the church. I don't need to go to church. I am the church. That's a nonsensical terminology. You can't be a gathering. <laughs> you are one person. Now, you could say the church doesn't need a building, and that I 100% agree with. It doesn't need a sanctuary. It doesn't need a cathedral. You can meet out in the open air. You can meet in a, in a uh, warehouse. You can meet in a school. Jesus said people, God's people don't need to worship in Jerusalem. So it's not about the physical temple that was rebuilt and eventually destroyed by the Romans. God's people worship in spirit and truth, but God's people will gather and worship me. Perhaps, again, one thing we have lost is the necessity of coming together and worshiping God. You know, we make so light of it sometimes, and if I could be a little challenging for you and for me, that, well, I'll go to church if I have nothing else to do, <laughs> right? If the kids don't got anything, the grandkids, then I'll come to church. But if something else comes up, eh, it's no big deal. You know, the early church in Rome, it became illegal for Christians to gather and worship at the cost of their imprisonment and perhaps their lives, they would meet in the tombs called the catacombs. And even today, you can see the Christian symbolism in these tombs. Because they knew God's people will gather and they will worship him, even if it cost us our lives. In China, they allow so many churches. They're called three self-churches. They're the state-run churches. Some of them are pretty good, to be honest. I've, I've been to one, and it was, the, the pastor was amazing. He preached the word clearly. I was like, wow, the state's listening. Because they literally have cameras in the church buildings in which they will listen to the sermon, and they can facial recognize everyone who decides to go to that church. Right? That's China. But that only tells a tiny portion of the story of Christianity in China. The vast, vast majority of Christians meet in homes illegally and worship God with all their hearts. And many of them are thrown in jail because of it. But they say, we will worship God and we will gather in his name. As I, I mentioned a New Year's resolution for every Sunday um, I preached here. Um, remember the first one? Commit to, to reading the word every day. And then last week was commit to, to giving regularly, to tithing. Here's my, my encouragement for a third New Year's resolution for today. Commit to gathering on Sunday. Is it a sin not to gather? Not necessarily. In fact, probably not, right? If you're sick, don't come. We want you to stay home if you're sick, right? If you're traveling, okay, travel. You can go on travel. If there's a family event every once in a while, we get it. I'm not, this is not legalism. But make it a high priority to gather and, and worship. Could it be? Could it be that part of what we've seen here in the United States is a bit of discipline from God, that we have not made gathered worship a holy and meaningful time? We have not given it the priority that it deserves. God's people will worship him. What do we do when we gather? Well, we sing. <laughs> I've encouraged you guys to do this. You guys, as someone, what do you see here? We see singers appointed specifically to lead. We notice here, he mentions Asaph, the sons of Asaph. 
Why is that important? If you've read the Psalms, you know the Psalms of Asaph. Uh, there's actually 12 of them, Psalm 50 and Psalm 73 to 83. Those are all the sons of Asaph. They've been recorded for us throughout history we sing. Now, you might say, Pastor Rick, you, you know, I don't have a, the best voice. I don't either. I feel bad for Alan and Jimmy because they're sitting right in front of me as I'm singing loudly. Um, I will sing and I will sing loud, but I will not sing well, okay? <laughs> but I will sing because we're called to and because it's good for my own heart. I need to sing his praise as well. What do God's people do when they gather? They learn. They're taught. Friends, never be in a place in which you feel like, I have nothing left to learn. The priest and the Levites got nothing for me. I know the word better than all of them, so who cares, right? Always be in a place where you're ready to listen and learn. I remember uh, Al Seavey, uh, who's gone to be with Jesus, but Al used to be in his, I think, late 70s, early 80s, and he would come to Sunday school, and he would just say, I still have so much more to learn. I have so much more to learn. Never felt like he knew enough. Always humble enough to say, there's more to be taught. There's more for me to understand. I need to know God more. God's people gather to sing. They gather to learn, and they gather to give. As we saw, we talked about this enough last week. I won't go into it all again, but notice that. And I understand we, we've given online giving options. That's what I use. But some of you say, I want to come and bring it here in person. And so we've maintained the box by the door because some people feel like that's their act of worship when we come together. If that's your conscience, then we want to make sure that you have that as well. A return to what it means to be the people of God. God's people are numbered. He knows us each by name. And he loves us. He knew you from your mother's womb. He's known you throughout your entire life. He knows every sin that you've committed. He knows every embarrassing moment that has occurred in your life. He knows all the mistakes that you've made, the decisions that maybe went, thing, went in the wrong direction and so forth. He knows it all. He loves you still. If your faith is in Christ, you are counted among his people. And your names are written as well. Lost to history, as these names are, most of them, but remembered by God. God's people are spiritually led. He wants us to continue to learn, understand his word, be cared for spiritually. No one is meant to do it alone. No Christian is meant to stand by themselves. Even those who have to. For example, those who are in prison for their faith. Those who are kind of alone on the mission field. They long for the opportunity to gather with God's people again. And God's people are called to worship him as our priority because he's worth it, because it's good for our own soul. In him, we find our greatest joy and purpose and meaning, and that brings him the greatest glory. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God, thank you so much for your word. Even a section of scripture like this, <laughs> filled with a lot of names and a lot of numbers, is a potent reminder to us that you care for each of us individually. If there was one more person, it wouldn't say 72, it would say 73. If it was one less person, it would say 71. You've counted them, you've known them, you've redeemed them, and you've made them your own. 
Father, I pray, we pray together that you would continue to work in our church, bringing glory to your name. Be with our gathered worship. Let, it, let these be meaningful, deep, profound times of encountering you. And be with us as we scatter as well. And as we worship you throughout the week, it's not just about gathering, but it's important. And we pray that we would give you glory and that you would begin, Lord, we pray, we pray to return us to truly being the people of God. Saved by Christ, redeemed by his blood. The temple, the priests, the Levites, all of this just pointed forward to the ultimate sacrifice and the true high priest, who is Jesus, who would die sacrificing himself once and for all. So that all those who put their faith in him would find redemption and eternal life and worship you in gratitude. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?